Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for downloading the show today. And we've got so much to discuss after Saturday's 4-3 defeat to Leeds at Elland Road, where we saw a leaky defence, a fairly potent attack and a mesmerising midfield at times, but so many more questions than answers, particularly at the back as Leeds carved us open time and time again and scored four fairly easy goals, leaving us with a lot more questions than answers. Here to discuss everything from Saturday's game is a defender who is much known for his marauding attacking runs, sometimes at the expense of the defence, Farrell Monk. Good evening, Sammy. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, She's got more sources than an overstocked larder, Isabel Barker. Hey, Sammy. How are you? Fine, thank you. And he might call it defence, but he definitely knows his thing or two about FFC. It's Nathan Martin. (laughs) Hello, hello. Do you promise to call it defence today and not defence? Yes, right. You can just, uh, yeah, dock dock my pay every time I get it the wrong way around. (laughs) As if we get paid to do that. Exactly, exactly. Right. um, Let's have a look at some of the three-word reviews that came in after yesterday's entertaining but ultimately disappointing defeat at Ellen Road, Farrell. Yeah, as always, when it comes down to a loss, the the um, especially in the one that manner that we saw yesterday, the three word reviews numbers skyrocket. So I'll try and get through some of the best of them. Chaz's announced Gerard PK um, breakers <laughs> starting off. Chris Lewis's frankly different class. Um, Daniels, I did quite enjoy, but I mean, I don't, it's going to be harsh on, on our old uh, Michael Hector, but Virgil van Scheidt, I just quite enjoyed that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Elijah's Defenders, I'm begging. Frank Miller 05's Leeds falling apart. And we'll finish off with one of our uh, one of our favourites, Richard Bamber's To Ellen Back. Yeah, I thought I saw that to Ellen back and I thought you might go for it, Farrell. Very, very good. Well, loads to discuss. Um, Nathan, we'll start with the lineup yesterday and, well, lots of new faces in the side. It was a return to the squad for Anguissa, Ariola, and Tete uh, made their debuts and then you kind of had a doy moving to centre back. And I saw that lineup at two o'clock and I was quite pleased. I was pleased to see a few new faces in the side. I'm still not a massive fan of dropping Marit Rodat but Kenny Tete I thought had a good game although uh, we'll come on to him in a second but ultimately I looked at that lineup and thought okay I I, I quite like it yeah I I think exactly the same thing I mean Rodak hasn't done anything particularly wrong to get dropped but when you have a keeper who's you know has Champions League experience was number one at PSG for a bit um you have to give him a shot and 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 I really felt like we still don't know how how good he actually is we'll get to that in a bit um but the rest of the lineup was very was happy with the exception of the defense and what I mean by that is you know you had Tede coming in which made sense he had a a good performance against uh it was Ipswich midweek and uh you know, set, set up Mitro really well. But then I just get a bit concerned when you drop uh, we, 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 with that sort of center back pairing and a doy dropping into the center, sort of like had a little bit of a question mark in my head. I have no idea whether it made a difference if Reem had been in or not, but very happy to see Angisa in there. You can see just kind of what many of us have been, you know, seeing for, for, for months and, and probably the bright spot of the day. Yeah, indeed. Um, Isabel, let's come on to 
the defense really it's the big question on everyone's lips at the moment um four frankly abysmal goals that fulham conceded yesterday all in their own unique way it wasn't as if every time it was because marking was poor or because they all came down the left or the right hand side um to in fairness to the defense they managed to concede four completely different but uh, <laughs> equally terrible goals um it's a massive worry seven goals in two games is it's the stuff of nightmares, really, from from our perspective as as Fulham fans, and it, it feels very much like deja vu for two years ago. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think the bottom line of that game was that our defence gifted leads the goals. I think that that's the simple line from it. I think it was every goal was so infuriating because, as you said, we could just pick it apart and say, "Oh, so and so's done that, so and so's done that wrong." And I think that even the first goal, it was a set piece. So it was like the bread and butter of defending we got wrong. And it looked so easy for Leeds. I mean, the space sometimes between Hector and Tete was just ridiculous. Hector making rash mistakes in the wrong position. It was just abysmal. And um, it was textbook for Leeds to get their goals. Like they weren't particularly, well. Costa's goal was pretty impressive. Yeah, finishing off. I mean, Thunderbolt strikes, but still, I think it was so easy for them to get in. Um, And yeah, really worrying and something we need to shore up very quickly. Uh, Farrell, what was the goal that Leeds scored that worried you the most? I mean, if you run through them, obviously the first goal is absolutely terrible marking and Helder Costa just drifts off and has all that space. Good finish, though, as we mentioned. The second, such naive defending from from Joe Bryan. Of course, Patrick Bamford milks it. We know he always does, but ultimately we can't have any real massive complaints yet there. Um, the third, as Isabel explained, that gap between Hector and Tete was just enormous and, and Bamford kind of strolled through. And, and the fourth, again, just Hector out of position and, and Fulham really never looked like stopping a goal from that point onwards. So what was the goal for you that just made you shake your hand furiously at the TV like you're the old man on The Simpsons. You must have been watching me watch the, the game yesterday. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, that's such a difficult question. Of all the questions you've asked me, um, the um, the third one um, that Bamford scored was was quite worrying because I would say that the, 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 the first two were down to just basic individual mistakes um you know the first one was it was supposed to be an easily cleared corner but Hector and um Brian uh, Reed got in each other's way and then the second one Brian ridiculously um pushing um Bamford in the back for the penalty but the third one in particular was quite annoying because it was like there was no there was no particular danger um the pass like, you know, easily Bamford was able just to saunter off between him and Tete and was able to pick it up in acres of space, take an extra touch and finish. And like, you know, it was it was a decent finish from Bamford, which, you know, you don't really say a lot from 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 him. Um, but like he was given all the time in the world to, to do so. And at this level, it was so easy for them to get that goal. The fourth one in particular was was quite ridiculous because Bamford is able to make Dennis Adoy look so silly down the left-hand side and able to sprint away from him um, and then was able just to fire a ball across for for Costa to have a, an easiest finish. So, you know, it's, it's tight in between those third and fourth ones. But I feel like the first two you can kind of put down to just individual errors. But 
The second two is down to a cacophony of team defensive shape error. I think there's a lot for Scott Parker to, to work on, really. I think that's very fair. In, in a sense, you're saying the first two are individual mistakes. No one likes individual mistakes. And of course, you want to cut those out as much as possible. But maybe you just can. Maybe concentration, fitness and all of that helps with that. And maybe just time to gel over a season. But the third and fourth, Nathan, just looked like flawed defensive tactics as if there was something fundamentally wrong with this back four and you know I guess what was most worrying about yesterday was we are going to face much tougher teams than Leeds yes okay it was their first game back in the Premier League yes I think they'll be fairly safe under Bielsa but they are certainly not one of the hardest teams by far that we're going to face this year and we made it look like we were facing Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Yeah and I mean I think Farrell really kind of nail and puts the nail on the head like Joe Bryan is an idiot in, in that moment but 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 towards the end those last two goals just really rankle because it's particularly Hector and you know we, we might not go the Virgil van Scheidt route today but i mean his his decision making in the second half of the match was just really really poor you know challenging balls or where, where he really needs to be kind of minding the gap and communicating and handling things at the back line and just and, and watching a doy just get absolutely skint by banford i mean that was a bit that was a bit disheartening i mean you know i kind of would have thought that he could keep up with him. Yeah, pace uh, is normally something that you right, associate with right, a doy. Right. Right. Dennis, Dennis has many, you know, flaws or shortcomings, but jumping and pace. I mean, those are the, the things that I, 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 you know, could usually rely on him. And he, Bamford just made him look silly. And you know, I mean, Bielsa is famous for the sort of fitness, uh, the levels of fitness. And I, you know, it was a bit hard to watch the match on BT over here yesterday because it's just the sort of fawning. And, and I'm, you know, I, I like Bielsa. I don't think they're the worst team, but but the fawning it becomes a bit excessive. And unfortunately, we we gave them a lot to fawn over for most of them, most of the, <laughs> most of the game. It's just just too easy. So yeah, I mean, I I just kind of wondered if there was an issue with communication. You know, you take Rodek out, and who's who's a communicator? Who's who's the keeper's meant to do that? You you drop Reem, who didn't have a great match last week, and those are two pretty vocal lines of communication. And maybe Hector just didn't do the job in terms of keeping the line in the shape. Yeah. I mean, Isabel, Jack Kelly, one of our own, um, put a question to us and he said, is Hector up to the Premier League task? Does that mean we need two new centre-backs and all this chopping and changing after literally one game? And, and we had played so many defensive combinations in 18-19. I honestly don't think we had the same starting back five for at least our first 15-20 games. If we did, then it was only maybe two games in a row. So on one hand, I kind of see Jack's question go like yeah we need a whole new defense that makes total sense Hector isn't up to the task I'm also so wary of just like Fulham making these panic buying decisions with a centre-back and we've seen that we're we're linked with new centre-backs today we'll come on to those but I don't know where to go from here I really really don't it's we're two games into the season we're in September it's in a met and it's in a mess yeah I think I I'm with you there though like I would be so worried about chopping and changing things every game. It really doesn't help for any team in the Premier League. I think with Hector uh, last season, when he came back kind of just after lockdown, he was he was quite poor then. I think maybe he needs a, 
I know you, you can't afford any time in the Premier League, but he needs time to settle and kind of calm his nerves because I think at this point in time, this is the biggest moment of his career. Like he's playing in the Premier League and he's virtually been living out a suitcase uh, on loan at so many lower league clubs that obviously this is the biggest moment of his career. And I think you can tell he's nervous and he needs yeah. time to settle. But um, like you say, I, I I would keep him on and I don't, I don't want to keep chopping and changing it so much because that's not going to help our team at all and keeping us cohesive and that continuity going into our next games. I mean, Farrell, we've been linked this evening with a player called Marlon from Sassuolo in, in Italy. And well, our man, George Singer, who you can follow on Twitter at SW6Stats, um, did a bit of a stat, da- stat breakdown of him. Now he's a right-footed centre-back. Doesn't look like what we really need. His passing stats are unbelievable. Passing accuracy last season in Serie A of around 96%, which is stunning. I mean, I don't exactly know how Sassuolo play. Maybe that he just passed to his left centre-back all season. I don't know. But... Looks like an okay signing. I mean, I liked the link to Jonathan Tarr from uh, Leverkusen. I mean, that looks like a great signing, if maybe a little bit unrealistic. What would you, what would you do if you're Tony Khan? If they're a centre back that has a 90, above ninety percent pass success rate, that is literally all of our centre backs in the past. Well, in the Championship, really. I think last season wasn't it? Ream Tim Ream had like the best passing accuracy in the league or something ridiculous but that's hardly surprising you know passing for passing sake in this in this team is exactly fits into the Scott Parker mold I'm all for sort of like getting our business done early um, at the same time I, I'm also for you know Tony Khan and, and, and the football club making sure that they get this centre back spot on and we know in this day and age that getting the right player in is so important and making sure the scouting and the, and the statistics and the model and and the, the manager is on board with everything. Um, the problem is at the moment, I'm now getting to the stage where it is getting very much into the panic buy mode. And people will know if they're coming in for one of their centre-backs, clubs, other clubs and rival clubs will know that they will go, well, Fulham are desperate to sign a centre-back. They've conceded seven goals now in the Premier League already in two games and they have a lot of money. So there's probably a lot of clubs out there going, well, you know, if they want them, it, it's going to be worth a lot to them. Uh, this Marlon signing does seem like a bit of a, a panic buy. You know, some of the other players that have been named, they just seem like they're not the right players. Like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were in from Hinteregger uh, from Frankfurt, which I think was, you know, it would be amazing if Fulham, Fulham get it. But I feel like we're probably being a bit too ambitious. Like, in what world would Marlon would leave Sassuolo? In what world would Hinteregger leave Frankfurt? I just don't see them as realistic signings. And the longer it goes on, the less and less likely we are going to get a top quality centre-back that fits into the model. I think that, you know, give, you know, two or three weeks time, if it carries on, you know, having Hector and Reem and Adoy. Um, in their two centre back roles in every game, the more desperate we're going to we're going to be. I, do, I don't see it changing anytime soon. I think that other clubs will try and take advantage of it, and it's going to be less and less likely we're actually going to pick up someone who is actually good enough and actually fits into the system. The only thing that 
kind of freaks me out a little bit. And Farrell, I completely agree. There's sort of that panic buy, which just sort of you, you, vulnerability is just screaming there. And, you know, normally you'd say like, let's, let's let the players bet in. The only thing that kind of worries me is that we, we've, we've talked about this before and, and it's been mentioned. This just first half of the season is so important for us. And you look at the fixtures that we have in the next four or five, six, six matches, and we've got to get points from those. And so it's, you know, I, I don't know if maybe not a panic buy, but just decisions are going to have to be made very quickly and probably with maybe a little bit less patience that we would normally have to do just due to how, how, how we are in the league and where we're likely to pick up points. Yeah. And also, Farrell, like you say, why would Marlon want to come from Sassuolo to Fulham? And like, I'm not being funny, but we are a Premier League club now and we will be able to pay him a lot more money than he can get at Sassuolo. I, I kind of get that Hinteregger from Frankfurt. But again, like he's not at Bayern Munich. Right. He's not like I, I still don't believe that these kind of signings are completely out there yeah. for Fulham. If we pay enough money, we are in a fortunate position because we're in the Premier League. But I think we will pay um, through the nose. I mean, Isabel, what what do you think is most likely to happen in the in the in the market? I don't know how much you've seen into this Marlon rumor. I mean, is it just coming out of thin air? I mean, Scott Parker was very angry in his post match press conference yesterday. Potentially the most kind of animated and fuming that I've really seen Scott Parker. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing is, is that Scott Parker, his kind of terms to Tony Khan was, look, I want to have more of a say in the transfers. And I think, for my opinion, I think that's that's a good thing because I, I'm sure we'll go on to it, but I don't think Tony Khan is, per, is the right fit for the recruitment job. But um, again, I think Scott Parker, for sure, he's having more of a say in it. But but as you said before, I think players like Marlon um, and Fulham is such an, like, an attractive club to play at. Like I know we're, we're not, our form recently might not be great, but we're a more of an attractive club to come play at than um, West Brom, say, because we can play the, pay the players more. And also it's really little things like, players love to live in the area their families love it like I've been told yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitrovic why has he stayed at Fulham for so long I wonder like obviously I'm sure he's getting a decent wage but I mean they love the area they love the club um so I think that that comes in our favor and as you said I don't think it's unrealistic for us to think of players like I think from in my opinion Hinteregger would be the best option. I, I personally wouldn't go for someone like Marlon. I think he's, I, I would rather someone more experienced, a bit older. Um, but yeah, I think it's not far off to say that these players could, could be at Fulham playing at Craven Cottage. Um, Nathan, we're nearly 20 minutes into the podcast <laughs> and you could forget that actually there were some positives to yesterday's game, um, especially going forward. We scored three goals. I did actually think at one point, goodness me, the comeback's on. Um, Mitrovic played really, really well. Um, and Gisa, well, one it's of the stunning. best... One of the best midfield cameos I've seen at Fulham in a long time. Prime Dembele, honestly, I thought at times. Maybe not quite to that standard, but really not far off. There were some positive aspects to the game yeah. yesterday. Yes, the defence is concerning. Yes, our recruitment is concerning. But actually, 
I was so impressed with Fulham's mentality and the way that we didn't implode at 4-1 down. And we really, <laughs> really had Leeds worried. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I was watching, I was seeing people rave about Ndombele today for Spurs. He, he has this, this kind of beautiful move where he shrugs off a defender and then, and then finds Son for one of the goals. Like I, I think it was the first one. And, you know, if you watched Agisa for the for the assist for, for Bobby yesterday, I mean, Agisa was just so refreshing to see him coming through the midfield, picking the ball up, holding it. The number of times where he'd be just surrounded, be able to create space for himself, shrug off a few kind of difficult challenges, and then still kind of looking for those passes. And I love TC, but the physicality, I, I'm just not sure if he would be able to assert himself and exert himself on the game. And, you know, this is also something that Farrell and I were talking about this morning. We, we, we play or attempt to play Sunday League football. But we were saying, you know, Bobby Deckard over Reed, for some reason, he's kind of got this tag attached to him in full of Twitter world or in some people's heads that he's he's not had a good season. He's not been performing well, but I think he's, you know, kind of put a good shift. And, And yesterday he was a real bright spot. And it was, you know, it took his took his goal very, very well, and, and the, the sort of link up play with Mitro was very encouraging. Um, it's just a shame that we, you know, we we, we shaded the four goals. Nathan, I, I I agree that Bobby played well yesterday, but that's a bit of revisionism to say that he has been playing well for Fulham recently. I no, 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 I don't. I just, I don't think he's. I just, I, I don't think he's as bad as people want to make him out to be. Like when I when I look at the performances, like Caviero was horrible yesterday, and you know, same thing with Knockart. But but Bobby, you know, like like you know, if you're, if you're to give anyone patience. I kind of have patience with someone. I'm going to have patience with someone who actually has scored goals at this level before and who, you know, who works hard and kind of has the right attitude. He's not been perfect. I'm not, not saying he's been a, a star, but you know, no, no one's really shown that brightly for Fulham this season. No, I, I liked what Bobby did yesterday. He kind of came on and was in that invisible patch on the pitch and no one really knew whether to pick him up. The defence didn't know if it was their responsibility for Leeds or the midfield didn't know if it was theirs because he was playing a bit too far forward. I, I think it was Bobby at his best yesterday where he kind of drifts between the lines and made space for himself and really made himself dangerous. And I was really impressed with that finish as well. And Farrell, I want to get your views on Kenny Tete. I actually... Thought he was quite impressive. Yes, okay, defensively, there were moments where he was responsible and that communication with Hector and Adoy obviously isn't quite there yet. But going forward, I, I think he's a heck of a right back. Yeah, he certainly um, does offer a lot going forward. Uh, defensively, you're quite right in saying like it's going to remain to be seen, Like especially the way that Parker will get this team defending eventually. But it's going to, unfortunately, it's going to take some time to see this defensive unit come on because you know that there's it's so many little tactical things here and there about getting the shape right when to press when to when to when the team should press when the team shouldn't press where they should press on the pitch that will come with time so I think that his defensive abilities will have to will you know will have to come and will remain to be seen you know in the tackle he made some very you know couple of really good tackles but going forward absolutely I'm I'm already happy with that and I feel like he he offers a lot you know more and more and something different especially from crossing I mean he got the yeah. assist for uh, Mitro's goal which was a very good cross put it into the right area but I mean it was such an easy header for, for Mitro to head home because Meslier was caught in complete no man's land came out for a cross that he didn't really need to and you know uh, I mean the ball pretty much ended up in the middle of the goal um, such was the poor goalkeeping there. Um, but around him, I think that he actually, you know, 
what he actually offers as well is the fact that when he actually um, passes, he actually looks for a one-two, which Joe Bryan is quite good at as well. And if if um, Tete is doing that on the, on the opposite flank, then I'm all for it. It gives it gives the team something to to the opposition something to think about. Um, but to be honest, um, you know, we did get those two goals back to make it four three. Uh, but to be honest, the game just descended into like it was the, the the quality just dropped massively. Both teams became suddenly very nervous on the ball. Fulham, especially going forward, we were pretty toothless. I know Cabano hit the post later later on, but apart from that, I thought Fulham were very poor um, for the remaining twenty minutes. We couldn't really string two or three passes together, and that's Leeds as well. Um, mm. You know, I, I think the one of one of the disappointing things from Parker's decision making yesterday. I'm happy with this tight lineup. I'm happy with the way that we tried to play. Obviously, it didn't work in the end, and I think there's a lot more to come. But the one one of the decisions that I'm a bit annoyed about is the fact that Cavallero wasn't hauled off um, at some. You know, in that game, he was poor a lot of the game. Um, he didn't really produce very much. Some of his passing was bad. Some of his take ons were bad. Um, so to not bring him off was, you know, it was a bad day at the office for him. I think that he's not one of these. Sometimes he has a bad game and still comes away with the goal, but it just seemed like he he wasn't going to. That wasn't going to happen for him. Um, no, but he's been struggling. Be honest, he's been struggling lately, hasn't he, Cavalera? Let's be let's be honest. Yeah. And I can't remember a, a really great Cavalero performance this side of the new year. Like he came yeah. on and played quite well against Reading and scored that goal. I seem to remember on New Year's Day, and after that. I'm struggling to remember a good Cavalero performance and and I don't know I would honestly I know they play different sides but if we're looking at different wingers I'd actually sometimes rather see Knockout get a go in that situation because I think he might be able to provide a little bit more I thought towards the end there was a couple of chances where it, we were literally in the 93rd minute and Cavalero seems scared to actually put a cross in the box and I was like Cav there's a minute left stop dicking about with it like just mm. stick a ball in the box you've got well, like a great striker in there you just never know <laughs> Well, it's amazing, like how Fulham had this amazing ability to to get a decent opportunity to get a shot away at twenty twenty five yards out, and then decide to take an extra shot or turn, and and then the chance fizzles out. I mean, a lot of our goals last season. I mean, it's a weird strategy to rely on goals from outside the area, but it worked for us. We scored a lot of our goals from outside the area, but yesterday we were so reluctant to take the shot on. Um, yeah. I think I think from taking them outside the area, I think that has cost us so much. You see people like Harry Arty, he gets like three, tries it again another game against Cardiff or someone, and then it really costs us. Mm. So I yeah. I would I would stick to passing, keeping put your head up and look around instead of trying right from the area because I think we we often try and rely on this little moments of brilliance and in the Premier League mm. that's not gonna work. Yeah, I know I mean I'm not I'm not I'm like gonna go on the defensive myself here and say like yeah it's it's probably Scott Parker's strategy. It's not my strategy. It is a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it, it seems to you know we've relied on it certainly. Um um but the amount of times I think yesterday that we didn't take the shot off and it gonna it's gonna make me sound a bit simple but you know the shots were there to be taken and you know if they are Premier League quality players you'd expect them to get a decent shot away from the amount of spaces that they were they were granted on the edge of the box the, the one player we, we haven't talked about at all because he just didn't do much yesterday I mean he, he wasn't particularly bad but he also just didn't wasn't particularly good was Anima I mean he, he, he just 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 wasn't able to sort of settle into the into the match and I'm not sure how much of that's on him or how much of it's just Fulham as a whole just really were just really looked 
shaky for, for particularly for the first half. Yeah. I wonder if there's a case of Onoma of it took him a while to get going in the championship and then he kind of fi- finally found his feet at, towards the end of last season and maybe just the level up. It's going to take Onoma a few weeks to, to adjust back to the to, to the Premier League and get up to this pace. I do believe he's got the talent because I think he's yeah. a really, really talented footballer. But, you know, he was a bit slow to adapt last season and maybe he's just going to be a bit slow to adapt this season. His, his feet looked like he had, he had a couple moves yesterday where he sort of danced past a few people or created a little bit of space. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think some of it's just awareness and everything moves faster. You know, there, there's just less time. You get closed down faster that you just can't make mistakes. And, you know, like we saw yesterday, even if Leeds is coming up with a championship, is that it, normally for a championship side, they wouldn't finish all four of those. You know, Le- Leeds had those opportunities. They put them away. It's the same thing against Arsenal last week is that the Premier League, you know, with the exception of some squads, you're, you're just going to get punished a bit more. Yeah, indeed. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, before we do, I just got to read this tweet. You might have seen it today, but honestly, it's had me creasing. Uh, Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys seen this? Yes. <laughs> So Leeds 4, Fulham 2. Sky Sports is Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday. Are they back in it? I don't think so, is what Paul Merson said. And then we scored, then one minute later, Leeds 4, Fulham 3. Sky Sports is Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday. I told you Fulham weren't out this game. (laughs) That just sums the coverage up, to be honest, I think. Goodness uh, me, how, like did, how did he survive the cull? I don't understand. <laughs> I like if you're going to get rid of Letizia, Charlie Nicholas, uh, Phil Thompson, like why are you keeping? What did Paul Merson, what dirty secrets does he have <laughs> on management? I don't get it. Like whether you get rid of them or not, kind of like up to sky, but I don't understand how he survived it. Who knows? It's amazing. I mean, are you saying that certain broadcasters like to choose people who might not be best for the job, but will just create a lot of chat and funny things that come out of it? Maybe, but uh, Letizia, like Nicholas and and Thompson did that as well. They were equally as uninformed as Merson. I'm just, I, I it baffles me. Honestly, truly baffles me. Maybe they, maybe they actually went into a room like that scene in the Joker and they sort of said, look, there's one microphone here and there's three of, you know, how many of you, only one of you are allowed to leave. And Merson, you know, we, we just don't know. He's actually like a bit of a fighter. He's the one that made it out. Yeah. I think maybe if it, I could see Paul Merson also like being the rat of the group and they maybe all, <laughs> they, they all agreed to leave and then Merson went, nah, nah. nah I'm, there's I'm there's, a, pan, there's a pandemic on. I'm not going to go look for a new job right now. Yeah. I just <laughs> quite comfy where I am. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, there's loads of questions to answer and we're going to do a brief preview of Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesday. No, on Tuesday. Damn it. Football and Fulham is back and to celebrate Beer 52 are offering free beer again so you've got something tasty to sip on while watching the game from the comfort of your home. Yes, they're offering eight free craft beers. They're sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do to claim your box is go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and cover the £5.95 postage. Now, if you don't know about Beer 52, I've so thoroughly recommend them. They are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. They've got 150,000 members. And what they do is they send you a brand new case of craft beer every single month. Each case has a different theme. Past themes include beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, the USA, Europe, but they also send you some UK beers and they're really passionate about the UK craft beer scene too. Uh, Honestly, the different selections that you get are fantastic. I've never had the same beer twice uh, and it's so much better than what you get in the supermarket. 
markets. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you get your free case if you haven't before. Uh, you also get their award-winning beer magazine, Ferment, and a tasty snack as well. And if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your accounts at any time. So to claim your beers, go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham to get your first case of eight beers for just £5.95 postage. That's beer52.com forward slash Fulham. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Nathan Martin. Hello. Isabel Barker. Hello. And Farrell Monk. Oh, hi. All right. Well, we're going to do all your questions in a moment. Uh, Loads of them came in. Um, So I alluded before the break that I got it wrong and that we're facing Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday. We're not. We're definitely facing them on Wednesday. Wednesday, seven o'clock, Carabao Cup third round. Um, Obviously, it was a decent win over Ipswich last week and we're into the hat for the third round. Interestingly, if we do win on Wednesday, we face either West Brom or Brentford away. So potentially a trip to, um, what do they call it now? Lionel Road, the new Griffin Park, the new Brentford Stadium. it's, It's gross. And all these like pundits, on Twitter are going oh new trip to the Brentford ground like love heart face and I'm thinking it's ugly what are you talking about for you a trip to the Brentford ground would not be love heart face no 100% not it'd be like the vomit face (laughs) what is this loving for Brentford it's so bizarre like no one has no one has even thought of Brentford up until about a year ago now all of a sudden they're fawning over this this small club in West London because they might have got to the big time, but they bottled it. Bloody hell. I know. Oh, it's so annoying. It's called the Brentford Community Stadium, if I want to use the accurate term. Anyway, let's focus on uh, Sheffield Wednesday first. We're not there yet, and nor are Brentford. Um, Sheffield Wednesday haven't conceded a goal this season, which is quite impressive. They're obviously rock bottom of the championship because they got deducted 12 points. Um, they're four points um, into that uh, deduction after a good 0-0 draw yesterday against Watford, and they won 2-0 against Cardiff on the opening game of the season for them. Um, Farrell, it's probably going to be ringing the changes again. And maybe another chance for Scott Parker to experiment in defence um, ahead of the the big massive game against Villa next week. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an interesting one because I think that if we were playing Saturday afterwards, um, then I think Scott Parker might have been tempted to make more changes. But I feel like considering that we actually don't have a raft of centre backs to to, to uh, utilise, then perhaps maybe Scott Parker might be tempted to go with the starting eleven that we, we face on, on Monday because match practice is what we need and a winning uh, match practice as well. Because, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, as you quite rightly say, they might be bought by the championship. They got this points deduction. They're not actually a bad team. I mean, if you actually, you know, look at the players they've got at their disposal, I'm actually a big fan of like players like Barry Bannon. Um, and Izzy Brown, for example, they're actually like pretty good championship players. So it might be, it will be a much more sterner test than Ipswich offered last Wednesday. Um, but yeah, if I was Scott Parker, considering there's an extra couple of games, a couple of days available to him um, when we play Villa rest, on Monday, yeah, yeah mm. to rest, that perhaps I'd be very tempted to play the team that he expects to 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 uh, to start that game, just to we can. Otherwise, we might be in danger of um, instilling this losing mentality, which we know Scott Parker is dead against. 
Yeah, exactly. Right, let's go into some of the questions. Uh, that game at seven o'clock on Wednesday, by the way, against Sheffield Wednesday. I've said Wednesday in this podcast way more times than I should. Uh, right, let's go to Sea uh, Hunt. Uh, lots of the questions today, you won't be surprised to hear, centre around either Tony Khan or the defence. So <laughs> if neither of them are a subject that you enjoy, I would probably go listen to your next favourite podcast. Uh, right, Sea Hunt asks, one, would we have let Mawson go out on loan if we weren't close to signing a replacement centre-back, surely it's being held up by negotiations. Uh, and number two, was it a mistake for Parker to change three of his back five from the Arsenal slash championship season from the Leeds game? Seems to be heading down the Slav route. Um, Nathan, we talked a little bit about maybe rotation a bit earlier, but it's an interesting point against Mawson. Whilst I'm not 100% sure Mawson would have been the answer, I still would prefer Alfie Mawson at left centre-back than Dennis Adoy. Like, we've let him go. Surely we have plans to get someone in and maybe they've fallen through or maybe they've been delayed massively. Yeah. The only thing I I don't know all the details, someone on the pod might um, more than I would, but I I am curious whether Mawson, there's a financial component to that as well in the sense of, you know, Tony is trying to bring new players in. Um, You know, I I have no idea what uh, Mawson was owned, but, but but but, there, but that could have been something when it, you'd hope that we would have already had some backup lined up for him. Um, but yeah, that was the weak spot in, in the defense yesterday. With I'm not just not sure about that that pairing, and I I agree with the list the the, the question just that it, it it feels a bit early, particularly because that back five did really well, you know, through the towards the end of the season um, to to shift things up too much. Okay, next question. I'll go to you on this one, Isabel, from David Manning. Where do you stand on Ariola in for Rodak? Uh, Ariola was beaten at his near post, went the wrong way on the pen, and then beaten by two decent finishes, but not in the corners of the goal, so didn't seem unstoppable. Is he still destined to be number one purely due to experience? Um, very interesting point. I thought he looked assured in goal yesterday, but he certainly didn't pull up any trees. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting question because it would seem that he had that Ariola has been put in the starting lineup literally due to experience because Rodak was in our top three best players, in my opinion, in the championship last season. Um but then again against Arsenal he let in the three goals went in, um and one went kind of through his legs. Um but I don't think Rodak has much hope of keeping out a goal from Aubameyang. Um, But I personally would get Rodak back in. I think he deserves it. I think until he has a major cock-up, then bring in Ariola because I think it's largely, as we've spoken about so much, it's our defenders that are gifting away the goals. It's not necessarily our keeper. So I'd have faith in Rodak and and bring him back in. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Like, obviously I'm not, denying that Ariola is a, is a good keeper with with good pedigree but like Rodak didn't really have that bad a game against Arsenal and was probably the best goalkeeper in the championship last season I just think it was quite hasty of Scott and the kind of decision I didn't think Scott would necessarily make so quickly um right let's carry on with the questions um Justin Evans this one for you Farrell is it time Tony Khan was replaced by someone full-time and does the panel think he knows what he is doing okay I know that like we've been over this before, it's slightly old grounds and you know there were lots of questions about the wrestling, but Farrell ultimately we went into this season and if we there was if there was only two signings we could have made, we would have said one, 
get Harrison Reed back and we would have said second a centre-back and the fact that we are two games in and we've barely been linked with one all summer it does seem pretty negligent but then on the other hand one thing I do want to throw into the fire Scott Parker was believed to have said that he wanted to show faith in the likes of Tim Ream as they got us up to the Premier League so is it fully on Tony? No, not necessarily. I think I think you're right. I think obviously to Scott Parker's credit, and I don't think this has actually been mentioned enough of Scott Parker that to Scott Parker's credit, probably more so than Slavisa Jukanovic, that he's obviously very good at managing up as well as managing the rest of his team. We the, the much publicised problems that Slavisa had with Tony Khan uh, was ultimately probably a detriment to the squad as a whole. Whereas Scott Parker has obviously got a very good relationship with with Tony Khan and is able to sort of influence him to make sure that we get the, the best players in. And if Scott Parker has told Tony Khan that he wants to show faith in the players that got them up, uh, maybe Tony Khan has definitely listened to that and has decided, okay, I'm not going to focus too much on the places he doesn't on the places and the people that he doesn't want to replace. Um, that's certainly probably something there. Um, and I'm okay with that, to be honest. I know it might not get results, but I, I'm okay with that. Like, uh, we know that Tim Ream has been an excellent servant for the club. We know that Dennis Adoy has been an excellent servant in the club. And Hector was was fantastic for, since he came in in January. But to throw it the other way, we both, we all knew, the, the as you said, the first, the if we could strengthen one position in this squad when we were coming up with centre-back. The fact that we haven't even had a sniff of a, of a new centre-back since uh, the final whistle at Wembley is is concerning. Um, as a whole, I think the transfers that we got in is like chalk and cheese in comparison to what happened two years ago. All the players that we've brought in are all very smart, shrewd moves. You know, it did take somewhat, some time to get Harrison Reed over the line, but it happened and it was before the start of the season. Um, I'm impressed by Tete. Tete seems, I mean... To get him in for the fee of two, two or three million euros, whatever it was, is, seems like an absolute joke. And I feel like something weird has gone on there to be able to get a player of his quality in for such a small amount of money. Um, you know, to be able to bring back Anguissa for him to stay, convince him to stay and have no attempt to like cash in on him, you know, um, to cash in on him is, I think, is remarkable as well. Lamina's an astute signing. Um you know, I think that on a whole, we got to credit where credit's due, really. But, you know, in terms of going back to the original question, could we do better in the Department of uh, Director of Football Front? Of course we could. But that's the hand that Fulham have been dealt. And I feel like it's not going to change. We can yeah. criticise and say that it's it, we could be doing better. Sure, yeah, we could be doing better. We could get someone with far more experience. But the long, like, if we just let him get on with the job and, um, you know, he's going to get that get that experience. You know, he's obviously quite a smart person and the more experience he gets, the more we can just let him get on with his job. You know, to a certain extent, as a podcast, we can be critical. This is the, this is the reason why we're here. We can be critical of the stuff that happens on the pitch. We can be critical of the stuff that happens off the pitch when it comes to the club. We can criticise certain aspects of, of the transfer policy. In this situation, though, I think that on a whole, like I said, We've done we've done fine so far. Um, the proof will be in the pudding, though, and see what happens at the end of the season where Fulham finish. Yeah, it's an interesting one, really, with Tony. And we've discussed this many times before. With like, 
is Tony Khan the best person in the world to be our director of football? No, of course he's not. He's the owner's son. Like, it, it, But we've spoken about the advantages that that does bring as well is that he has the ear of his dad. And just also... Uh, we're wasting our breath. We literally are wasting our time in trying to get rid of a man who is the son's owner and the, uh, who's not going to be fired. So we kind of have to just make the best of it, criticise maybe the decisions he makes, but this whole kind of like, should he be our director of football? Pff, what can it's, you do? It's so stupid. It's so stupid as well because like, you know, I don't want maybe, you know, that they just the phrase beggars can't be choosers. It's like, you know, football clubs don't get to pick the owners that you have. And, you you know, there are plenty of clubs just around London with Charlton and, you know, uh, Barry and, and all of the other areas just where, where, where clubs have had really horrible owners. And I'm not defending them just you know, be, be because they haven't been been horrible, but they've they've made a lot of great decisions. They've you know, the investment that they're continuing to make in the Riverside stand with all the uncertainty around COVID and, and everything else that's going on, trying to move things ahead, you know, they, they are good. And they've, they're, they're trying to learn from the mistakes, trying to keep a dialogue with the fans. Tony may not be perfect, but he's trying to learn. And hopefully, and I liked what you said about Scott or, or Farrell saying this about Scott managing up rather than just down. And that's such an important quality. And, you know, it, it helps you build not just a cohesive match day squad, but a cohesive organization. Right, let's go on to the next one from Sam. I'm going to go to each of you on this. He said, from each of you, pick a really... It's quite a quite aggressive tone of this question, but I know he's trying to do the right thing. It's from each of you, pick a realistic centre-back you would like to sign. Um, I'll add into the fire that um, our man Joe Sansom, who is quite regularly on the podcast, has been doing some digging and uh, Marlon played quite a lot at left centre-back last season for Sassuolo. So there's a bit of knowledge to add to the fire. Uh, Isabel, I'll start with you. If you could sign one centre-back, uh, who would it be? Well, if I could sign one, I don't know if it, because the question said realistic, I don't know if it is realistic, but... Um, okay, Mar- yeah, well, let's not, let's not go Gerard Piquet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not along those lines. But um, Martin Hinterreger, for me, um, I think he's powerful. He's been capped 45 times for his country. And I think he's he's sort of like a talisman for the team and for his country. And I think we often, are like, our, what, our talisman is Mitro. He's a defender, this guy. And he's their talisman. And... And he's a bit he's a bit older, twenty eight, I think. Um, and I think for me, I, I want to I want to sign someone a bit older, a bit more experienced, and um, very vocal, powerful sense back. So that that would be my choice over someone younger like Marlon. Um, Farrell. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like. like I mean, I said that Hinteregger is never going to sign for Fulham. Um, I just I still just think it's just too ambitious, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't come, but I mean, I would love Hinteregger, and he's a quality footballer. Um, he's also like the linchpin in the in the Austrian national team too, and he gets a gets a fair amount of goals for Frankfurt as well. Something that we've probably been lacking quite a lot. Um, I can't really remember the last time a defender scored direct from a from a set piece, but um, I mean, the one that I've been banging banging the drum for for quite some time now is Ben Godfrey. I think um, he is young. He's probably not the experienced centre back older who's really commanding that we we probably need right now but I think he's got all the qualities and all the makings of of someone who who will be a top quality center back in two or three years time um and he's he's a decent ball playing center back I think he's I think we'd be able to get him from Norwich as well um yeah I think he's probably on you know really a realistic signing and one that would really be an impressive one for me 
Um, Nathan? I, I don't I don't know how much more to say to what's already been said. I like the idea of having a, a, a defender who could score some goals uh, if, if he's willing to come to the club. And, and Marlon was also just kind of – I like taking a punt on him. He's, he's 25. He's got some real talent. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't have the same level of research, so I defer to the two or the three of you. Next question from Alan Rushstad. Never seen Scott seething as much in his post-match interview. He knows the back four weren't up to it two years ago, and they aren't now. Um, there's rumors of Scott making an angry phone call post-match. <laughs> I wonder who too. Nathan, any ideas? Um, you know, it's probably to Paul Merson at, at Sky Sports to try to just, you know, <laughs> really, really coordinate information. Um, no, I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing that killed me yesterday while watching the match yesterday. And it, with, with Arsenal, it's a bit different. I mean, I, I think they're a really classy squad. Arteta's got a, in a really good position. Um, but yesterday, what's going to kill Scott is, you know, the things that you can control and not making stupid mistakes. And, uh, he, you know, he, he can go and lay in a Tony for not ha- closing down a center back. But ultimately, the fault for yesterday is on Scott and, and, and the squad that was put out there. That that, that team was was good enough to hold, le- to hold leads to less than four goals. And so, you know, whatever other signings need to happen up, up the chain, you know, Scott's probably angry at himself, at his squad for just a really, really poor and aimless performance that left them, you know, left us where, where, where three goals wouldn't, wouldn't really do anything for us. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty bleak situation for Fulham at the moment. Fingers crossed we can get things turned around in the next couple of weeks. And that game against Aston Villa a week on Monday is absolutely huge. Fingers crossed, as I say, that we can turn it around and do the business. Maybe get a clean sheet and, uh, and surprise everyone. Well, that will do for today. Uh, final thing we need to do, Farrell, is name the podcast. So uh, what are you thinking? Um, I mean, there were some very, very good three-word reviews um, but I'm just going to have to go with uh, Richard Bamber, Sol Bamber himself with To Ellen Back. To Ellen Back is the podcast name. Congratulations, Richard Bamber, for naming it for another week. And we will be back on Thursday looking back at that Sheffield Wednesday game. God, if I have to say any more weekdays in this podcast, I'm actually going to fry. And uh, then looking forward to the Villa game, which is a week on Monday. Nathan Martin, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Isabel Balker, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Cheers. And Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Obrigado, Sammy. Have a good start of your week and we will see you later. Come on, you whites. Toodles. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us... 
Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.